0: You're listening to the inaugural episode of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where two cinephiles break down trailers, episode, movies, the works. <laughs> In today's episode, we'll be discussing The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1, Chapter 9, The Marshal. To start us off, very interesting note, we're continuing the numberings of the chapters into Chapter 9, which is kind of neat. <laughs>
1: yeah, it makes it into one long story. It's not Season 2, Episode 1 completely diverse and and we should expect that they you know gave us a trailer that carries over the mission from the previous season into this one so i i like that and i i think you're right i think it's interesting it's finally nice to have something to look forward to every week um there there hasn't been that much content so kicking off with uh with an episode like this it has has been uh pretty fortunate so they they start us off with uh, the Gamorreans fight scene, something that we talked to to ends about. Some new info in that scene. You know, the Mandalorians are basically a hunted creed, just because um, like people are trying to fight over their armor, which apparently is priceless. Uh, which which we kind of knew from before. But um, what about you? What do you think the Gamorreans fight live up to everything you
0: wanted? I've never thought I'd see very swole gamorians duking it out in any sort of like boxing like ring but I, I i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought I would.
1: <laughs> are you a fan of using swords and axes <laughs> in hand-to-hand combat <laughs> in a boxing ring <laughs>
0: um yeah i mean I, it, it's definitely a new thing to to kind of bring up into the star wars universe but it it definitely is as long as they're i don't know what do they they call it it's like vibro swords vibro blades are what they usually refer to these kind of weapons i don't think these were it right it was just regular it seems like it was just regular blades but yeah i it was a little weird to see it but um i thought it felt in natural, unlike like take something from like uh last jedi when it when it kind of takes you out seeing the casino type scene i feel like this one wasn't that at all it felt like enough real world to be like a quick little wink and nod at you but um it did feel star wars
1: well that's the thing i feel like star wars is always you know ignores ignored sport um in what is such a huge part of our world why wouldn't it be bigger on the gal- galaxy i mean pod racing i guess was one but yeah, I mean, we've never really seen that many sports going on. So boxing makes sense, um, and especially for Gaborians looking for work or something like that, uh, who are known to be bodyguards. Makes sense to me.
0: Not swole bodyguards, but yeah. <laughs> well,
1: these, Yeah, these guys had to cut down. Jabba's Palace was not about cut down.
0: These have been to prison, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, you get the, we, we kind of saw all this in the trailer. The the only difference I saw, I noticed from the trailer was that the sound effects of Mando fighting all the bodyguards there, that was all black screen in the trailer because we were viewing it from baby Yoda's perspective. But in the actual episode, we get to see all the punching and like all the punches and the laser shots all kind of lined up with the trailer. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, cinematic choice they chose
0: it's nice choreography especially for somebody like in in the full mando getup. I, I imagine it's kind of hard to move around in that thing but oh yeah um, you are wearing a
1: full suit of armor i mean
0: yeah you
1: have to do moves that are easy for the actor but then also um something that you know makes us feel like this might be a little bit of a threat
0: one thing to kind of point out real quick before we kind of jump from this point but like this is, um, this came as a little bit of a shocker to me, but that's John Legazamo voicing the yeah, um, they,
1: they they retouched up his voice a lot. I cannot yeah. place who it was. I, I, I that told, I told you at first, I thought it was John Favreau again doing another voice, but <laughs> um, yeah, they really
0: changed his voice for that. I was surprised, and I hope this isn't, um, I hope this I hope this is the way that we tackle on like celebrity guests in it, where like it's not in, in remotely immediately obvious that. Uh, it's them.
1: Yeah, same thing with Jason Sudeikis. I had no clue he was the Stormtrooper until there was an article about it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I like them putting in celebrity, like celebrities who are fans of Star Wars but not giving them, you know, a face or giving them a very obvious voice. Right. But yeah, so then this, this drives the storyline to Tatooine. Um, I think we were talking about this before. We're both a little surprised that they went tattooing first. I felt like the Boba card was the big thing to keep viewers, you know, tied in on and and coming back to see when he's gonna get introduced. So I was personally a little surprised that they they played that card so early.
0: They did. I I, I knew for sure we were gonna get some sort of reference to Boba just because it's been talked about so much. You think, you know, this is something that they would string along for a bit. Um, I did, I was a little surprised at the, like, just how into it we kind of got with Tatooine. Um, because obviously the, the minute, you, you know, the Cyclops kind of muttered, like, oh, yeah, the one Mandalorian I know of, he's back on Tatooine. Right. Yeah, like, oh, well, who did we last see on Tatooine with Mando <laughs> armor? <laughs> right.
1: Also, oh. why would it just be one? Like, if we're looking for a whole the whole creed, the whole army that he left behind. it, it Very odd to, to be anyone other than Boba. But we got to see Pelimoto again, the mechanic from season one. Um, interesting, you know, character development. Mando has now has a change of heart. He's comfortable with droids. I thought Peli was like, either they kind of held her back in season one, or she got like a bump in how, bubbly she could be like how she was how bubbly she was allowed to be um because she was like in love with the child and she was like cracking jokes with the droids i the slapstick felt a little over the top
0: yeah i think it's a little obligatory though because like i think ultimately they they always kind of try to gear sort of a lot of these sections over to to kids or just to kind of get that audience in so i think that with it you kind of have to get some of that Type of humor in there, mm-hmm. um, I yeah I I did notice that she immediately went for the overly welcome uh, personality this time versus I think last time it was a little bit of a buildup to it. Um, but it was nice to see Amy Sedaris' character back in because I I I thought that was one character that I didn't think we would see again necessarily. Um, so it was great that we're kind of establishing who the like some of the recurring background characters are are gonna be.
1: Yeah, and it seems like. This is kind of Mando's, you know, goal is to create as many allies on different planets as he can. um, As many people who will care about the child so that if anything should happen to him, he can trust people to look after the child um, and continue his mission. You know, it's always been like bridge building for him and not so much, you know, let me go to war.
0: Right. He's networking.
1: He's networking exactly.
0: He's a hundred percent networking. His LinkedIn would look incredible at this point.
1: Hey, you gotta get the connections up, you know. <laughs> but I, I, like, not to jump ahead too too fast, but he, I could have sworn I heard him say, when he goes into the into the dragon's belly, look after the child if I don't, if this doesn't work out, to the marshal, you know. Like, wait, what? <laughs> He's like trusting people with the kid, so easily.
0: Yeah, I I kind of took it as like, hey, keep an eye on him for me, real quick. But yeah, I I think the wording is a little is a little odd on that one.
1: Okay, I might have to rewatch that. But yeah, you get you get the the speeder bike scenes again. He's he's off to the uncharted city of Moss Pelgo. He camps with tuscan Raiders, showing that he's you know networking some more. <laughs> he's telling stories around the campfire. Um finally gets to Moss Pelgo, uh, where he meets the bartender and more importantly the Marshal who um is played by timothy Timothy Oliphant, basically reprising his Seth Bullock role from Deadwood. Uh, <laughs> I cannot hear him as anything other than a cowboy.
0: That's his one thing though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's he's typecasted for sure. I, I well, think it works, though. It works. Oh, 100%. He played that role perfectly. But the thing that we both noticed was that he is kind of gangly looking. Like, he's thin in that armor.
0: Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it definitely, um, the, the Boba Fett armor was, uh, for one, it was very nice to see it again and kind of yes. get that revelation of it a um, little bit of a deep cut, but uh Timothy Oliphant's character here, the Marshal, he's he's actually in a series of books. Um, from I think uh this was like supplemental uh reading for The Force Awakens. Uh but he was in there, so th- definitely um nice to see them integrate that sort of thing into into here and finally kind of like I guess like bring in different elements from the very vast. Wealth of Star Wars characters that we have out there.
1: Now, when you first saw the Marshal, like what percentage of you thought that was Boba Fett, or were you just not fooled?
0: I wasn't fooled only because like he walks in, as you said, with that little. It, it almost looked a, a little bit awkward on him. You it know, was, it's, it's cosplay. It, I did not it think it was done. Boba Fett. <laughs> it did. It's you know, it's like the when mom says we have Boba Fett at home kind of thing.
1: <laughs> like you can wear the armor, but you can't be. You can't call yourself Boa Fett. Like, right? It, it just didn't look like him. I wasn't really fooled. I mean, but I guess a little bit of me was reserved for the thinking that, oh, maybe this is Boa Fett. Maybe they are playing this card so early. But, um, you know, you're always expecting some sort of turn, and I think that was kind of an obvious turn that
0: we were all guessing. I gotta give kudos to like whoever is wearing the Mando armor in this scene. <laughs> Uh, because the moment the marshal takes those drinks goes back to the table and offers him the drink and takes off his helmet you can't see the actor's face right but like from the from the body language that he like exudes there it's almost like this like oh bro how could you how could you dare to take off your helmet in front of somebody you don't know
1: um yeah i thought the same exact thing it's a whole different level of acting um yeah and i think it is
0: um i think it's something i take for granted only because i feel like yeah like oh it's it's a man though. he's not supposed to show his face and all that right but like the, the the way that you act i guess not just with your voice but with your body goes in a lot of performance so to kind of see it subtly it's this is definitely one of those things that you would notice if it's not done correctly but maybe not appreciate all that much when it is done correctly
1: yeah, it's like the head tilt. You can read the expressions through the helmet. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's great acting. Um, but yeah, I, I also thought that right when he ordered the drinks, I was like, how are you guys gonna drink this? There's no way that <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a Mandalorian like. So kind of predictable there. Um,
0: and it's they obviously best.
1: get off to a rough start together. Um, yeah, one the armor back potentially getting into a gun match, it, basically like a western like all. Let's duel outside, walk 10 paces, and then turn around and shoot kind of thing. Um, but I'm,
0: I'm a little surprised at one thing for this, though. Uh, and that's like, you know, this is supposed to be Boba Fett's armor. Mm-hmm. So Boba Fett, who, you know, and this isn't anything that's kind of established in the movies, per se, but read up anything in the expanded lore for him, and he's supposed to be like the most recognizable, the most iconic bounty hunter that you can get. Um, right. in the galaxy, and so to me, it's kind of like, well, do these people don't recognize the armor?
1: It's <laughs> like for being a like a Jabba the Hut, like regular contractor, would right. he have been known around Tatooine pretty
0: well? <laughs> he probably would have. That's why I'm like, uh, it, when did we? Or is nobody going to call this guy out? <laughs> like, what the hell?
1: Yeah, and I think the major question that we'll discuss later too is what is his tie to mandalore culture um is it is he actually part of the creed does he just have armor that looks like it um i think one of the major questions that got raised when they first met was that mando asks i'm looking for a mandalorian and the bartender's like i don't know what that is like what would what would that look like and then he goes it looks like me and then he's like oh the marshal he's wearing your exact uniform <laughs> it's odd that the bartender didn't know what a mandalorian looks like but later on in the episode claims to know like the legend and the lore around the mandalorians like pick a side man you either know them or you don't know
0: them. <laughs> i i read it as like it's the same conversation you can have on whether folks remember who the jedi were or not in universe right because like if you take a look at it like what 15 20 somewhat years before or maybe more than, I think it's more than that. It's like 20 something years before the events of the show. The Jedi were pretty prominent, especially when you consider that they were the leading generals in the, in the big galaxy ranging war. And then fast forward two or three decades later, all of a sudden everybody's like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean a Jedi?
1: Well, I also think it's part of the presence on planets jedis weren't on tatooine because it was controlled by the huts right like it wasn't part right. of the republic so i guess we can give them a pass like if, if anyone on tatooine or planets like that don't know about the jedi right because uh, it's like it's not part of our war it's not part of our policing it doesn't matter to us
0: true true and the, i guess you could also make the argument that you when you're talking about mandalorians you're talking about an entire race of people versus the Jedi, which I can't imagine were over a couple thousand or so at their peak.
1: Mm -hmm. At their peak, I I would have guessed in hundreds, yeah. But yeah, the episode continues on. Um, Plot begins to develop where they uh, basically develop this contract to kill the sand dragon in exchange for Boba's armor. Um, Personally, this kind of... This and the actual fight reminded me of the Mudhorn fight in the first season where he's basically like has to ransom killing a beast for either armor or for his ship. Um, I'm not going to say it sounds lazy, but it's very the parallels can be drawn to earlier episodes.
0: Dude, I think this is so this story, the story itself, I think, is like, take your pick. There's a whole bunch of ways that this has been told already. Not in the Star Wars universe, but all around. Right. Um, funnily enough, like for some reason, immediately when we get a look at the Krayt Dragon uh, swallowing up the Bantha in Mos Pelgo, the first image that conjured up in my mind, for whatever reason, was that episode of Spongebob with the <laughs> with the Texas <laughs> bullworm. The
1: Alaskan bullworm. The
0: Alaskan bullworm. <laughs> <laughs> it was
1: like
0: that, yeah. I was like, I, I'm just waiting for somebody to be like, well, let's just take Mos Pelgo <laughs> and push it somewhere else.
1: This just in: the hot take is that Mandalorian is a ripoff of SpongeBob.
0: It is, <laughs> but yeah, well, like I, it's a familiar story. It is. It's a familiar story. I don't think it's lazy per se. I just think it's um, maybe a little uninspired. But they play it off so well. Uh, I, I feel like there's enough Star Wars elements there to kind of, you know, it definitely doesn't offer anything new to it. It's always like. Uh, it's, it, but I do, I do feel like it fits in within the universe pretty well, and it was nice to get some um, use of the crate dragon, something that we've been seeing since the original trilogy, but never really got any sort of like explanation or answer to how the creature actually looks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the episode continues. Mando basically brings the Tuskins and the humans together to fight the crate dragon as one front. They develop a plan where they're gonna, you know bury explosives right outside the cave because <laughs> it's taking a nap. Um, and then have the dragon slither over it and blow up its neck. The first attempt did not go well. Uh, basically just provoke the beast and then starts spitting acid on everybody. <laughs> and I thought, uh, I thought his mobility was pretty fast. He, he seemed to get around pretty quick. Uh, from one side of the, the army to the other side and then back.
0: Yeah, that, that thing moved really, really quickly. And also I feel like the plan was kind of like one of those things where like, well how do you fight this thing? Right. Also I felt so bad for the Banthas. They were basically all just food for the crate dragon during the Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. They never had it. How many Banthas were harmed in the film filming of that, do uh... you think? At least six, I think. <laughs> the stunt doubles, too.
0: Those poor Banthas, though. I, I did I did kind of breathe a sigh of relief as the crate Dragon came out of the cave for the first time and gobbled up the Tusken <laughs> instead <laughs> of the Bantha. You can it tell the, the half Bantha half was just... Yeah, the Bantha was just kind of like, all right, well, that's what you get for trying to sacrifice <laughs> you me. You can't fool
1: me. That's going to be here <laughs> later. I'll, I'll come back to that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, also the Marshal very like very well skilled with the jetpack for being <laughs> not a mandalorian he is able to like aim around he knows all the ins and outs of the armor the targeting computer for the rocket um he did a studying before this
0: well how long has he had it i guess is the question right because i think the timeline for season 1 was like 6 years or so after return of the jedi so six years, Boba has been presumably dead. And um, so I'm assuming, depending on, like... I-, I highly doubt the guy was in there for too long inside the Sarlacc pit. So it could be that he's had this for a couple of years now. So he's had some time to at least get to know the armor.
1: Well, they do give us the timeline of um, watching the second Death Star blow up on the holonet. Um, and then it seems like order of events, he stole the ice cream maker of, of crystals and then bought the armor with it from the Jawas uh, pretty immediately after because they said the, the void was had to be filled by another power um, which were the other raiders so it seems like he's probably had it for like five years
0: just about yeah probably and I guess that kind of leads into the discussion with Boba Fett um, real quick but yeah I I wonder if he gave up the armor willingly, or if he just lost it at some point as he's as he got out of the uh the Sarlacc pit.
1: I have to feel like the Jawas just stole it off him. I feel like he probably was spit out of the Sarlacc pit and was unconscious, and then woke up, just like armor <laughs> stolen. I mean, it's very expensive armor, and the Jawas. Probably know that. So and they're just trash collectors basically. So they probably just stole it off of like how else are what would he trade it for?
0: I don't know. Well what I was thinking was like if it has been five years since he lost the armor, the guy would have tracked it down by now. Maybe that's
1: what he was doing and he had no way to hunt it back or something like that. Or maybe he just now found the trail.
0: Yeah. Or it, it it definitely does seem like um I, I they're they're probably gonna delve into that a little bit more down the line but it was it was just interesting to me because it seems like they almost were trying to hint at possible ways that Boba could have survived because they kept talking about like oh this uh, the crate dragon is now inside the empty Sarl- pit of what used to yeah. be a sarlacc so I was like oh interesting and we're not that far off from Mos Eisley, which is where Java's sail barge would have come out of
1: that's how i took it as well i think it was the cray dragon ate the sarlacc or chased it away but i don't know how that means that he emptied out the stump like the cray dragon empties out the stomach of (laughs) the sarlacc (laughs) so they're gonna have to do some explaining
0: um i took it to mean boba blew up the sarlacc and then the cray dragon moved in
1: from the inside yeah what Could is be. with the Mandalore culture of blowing up beasts from the inside because that's how Mando beat the Krayt Sarlo- or beat the Great uh, Dragon. He pulls off this Jonah of the Whale, Iron Man from the Avengers type of let me get eaten along with the Bantha and just blow it up from the inside.
0: That poor Bantha. But yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, cuz the Bantha suffered twice there. It had to get eaten and be blown up.
0: <laughs> he was about to dip too. He was like on his way out he was like, I had almost sitting around. three. <laughs> <laughs> the well i i feel like um it could be that that they're, that they're kind of hinting at it could it, it might not be it might just be my whole um i might be reading too much into it but i feel like they just dropped hints all around this to possible ways that boba fett could have escaped um you can't help but like bring him up so much during this episode though because his armor is right there <laughs> his
1: armor oh. there and then obviously the big teaser at the end we see An inky shadow staring at Mando riding away, and who else is it? When he turns around, it's both of it.
0: Yeah, with complete with a bald head and maybe no eyebrows. I can't. I couldn't really tell.
1: Bald or faded eyebrows for sure. Yeah, Um, scarred up, and what also looks like two weapons. One of them being a Tusken Raider. Is that an axe or a rifle?
0: I don't know what that like the arc shaped thing is, right? It's almost it almost looks like a bow, but not quite.
1: I've definitely seen Tusken's wielded where it has like a ball at the end of it. Um, Definitely want to look into what those are called, but it makes me think, you know, the Mandalorians. It makes me think Boba is a Mandalorian or is as well versed as Mando because they're both able to make allies with the Tuskins when others are just viewing them as enemies. So. I'm assuming he, he probably joined up a tribe and got weapons or something.
0: Probably. I, I wouldn't put it past it. I think a lot of the lore surrounding Boba Fett has always been like his resourcefulness. So mm-hmm. th- I think from... I'm interested to see what his whole role is going to be in this. Because originally what I thought was... Okay, maybe Boba... This is ba- my thoughts back from Season 1. Maybe he is alive and they're going to use him during this series to hunt down Mando and the child. It doesn't look like that's the case here, though. This looks like a guy that's been lost in the desert for a while, or that maybe even altogether walked away from, from that life.
1: It, You know what? It kind of gives me vibes of, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi becoming old Ben Kenobi. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, My original anticipation and where I'll still hold is that I think he's going to be a mentor to Mando. I think they might have a, a fight or a skirmish at the beginning because he's trying to get the armor back. And I don't know if Mando is going to be willing to part with it, uh, just giving it to an old, bold guy. But um, I, I do view them as like, let me give you some background. Let me give you some training.
0: Yeah. Which I'm, I'm a little glad that we that Boba Fett is one of the characters that they're bringing into this, only because like he was the gateway into the whole Mandalorian culture and, and, and I guess visual. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to have a show called the Mandalorian, at some point you have to face the inevitable and touch on the, on the fat family. So I, I think it was a good start to the season. Um, I liked a lot of the deep cut references that we had on there. There was a lot of things that I could kind of list off here, like the, the little pearl from the crate dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really, really nice little, cut just to kind of give a little bit of perspective there's a crystal that comes out of that pearl that in the comics and in a couple of different like expanded lore um stories is an alternate to the lightsaber crystal so Mm -hmm. nice little nod i don't really think it has anything to do with the plot moving forward but it is it is cool to kind of put it in there as kind of like legitimizing it i guess in a way yeah um but i i liked a lot of that i liked um the the continuing expansion of the world and i feel like this is where it you know kudos to dave filoni john favreau and the team of like really taking elements of things you don't really need all that much more info on from the movies but it's nice to kind of get that uh feel uh, you know we've humanized the tuscan raiders at this point so yeah. it definitely gives you um more perspective when you're looking at the prequel trilogy and the treatment of anakin uh, versus them and then, also, like the the just the general world view from a new hope uh, of the Tuscans and their role that they play in tatooine. yeah. Um, the one thing I guess the, the those minor list of complaints I got the, I, I felt the pacing was a little off. It was a little bit slow at times. Um, which I feel like I, I i I've been toying whether that was you know, should the episode have been shorter. I feel like it had more to do with like, there just wasn't enough substance in a couple scenes to kind of, and some of them were just kind of played for, 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 this, for the sake of, I think, filling time sometimes. So I felt like it kind of went a little too slow at times, and then it kind of picked back up. So pacing continues to be an issue for me in a couple, for the, the, it was a big issue in a couple episodes from season one, but I think this one, it just kind of showed its hand a little bit there.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I love that these are going to be an hour long, assuming that every episode following is going to be the same and not trick us into a couple 30-minute episodes. I'm scared. Um, But that only gives you eight hours to progress a lot of story points that you want. I mean, the trailer showed us five different planets. We saw two of them this one. It showed us um, a lot going on on Navarro. We know Moff Gideon has to have a major plot point. We know that Ahsoka will eventually get introduced. It's a lot to accomplish in eight episodes if you're going to make every episode following one person. Personally, I want this to kind of, you know, take a lesson from Game of Thrones in the sense that, like, um, they progressed, you know, four or five different King's storylines at one time by showing us five, ten minutes of them, cutting to the next person, going to the third person, back to the first, and kept going in a circle so that we could see what each person was doing at the same time. Like I would have liked to see a little bit of maybe not Moff Gideon, but maybe a little bit of like what's going on on Navarro um, with Carl Weathers right now, (laughs) you know, like give us a little bit of something. Um, Or if you're going to stick to just Mando on Tatooine, I don't think we need to see him speed bike through the desert four times. I think we can cut some of that so that we can actually get introduced to Boba Fett.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, it could have used some more wipe cuts from back and forth the way they used to do it for the original trilogy. Whereas, you go from one scene and it goes. Your point there, though, on the um like cutting it the way they cut Game of Thrones. Do we have enough of a like regular cast here to do that with?
1: I, I viewed as three arcs. I think you have Mandos, which will be the introduction and in and um of of new characters like Ahsoka or um. Boba, and then second being Moth, Gideon, and then third being um, what's going on on Navarro with Carl Weathers and the Shock Trooper.
0: Yeah, I I guess we kind of do then have enough to kind of say, all right, we can cut to this person, we can cut to the next. Yeah, I, I feel where you're coming from. I I don't I don't think it's traditionally very Star Wars ish to go that route. But I also feel like you know it's a new medium, so why not explore it a little bit more? Um, I'm trying to think. Like I think Rebels from a TV show perspective kind of did that a little bit, where you would get episodes where you would shift off from hero to the villain, and vice versa. But I think that might have been the only other Star Wars thing that I can think of where we had that um, kind of like interconnected cuts.
1: I mean, in the prequels you get a lot of like Palpatine doing stuff and that kind of what I liked about the prequels was that we kind of got to, you know, kick behind the curtain and see what Palpatine was up or what the chancellor was up, up to at the same time as the Jedi, you know, trying to restore peace and order. Um, it was nice to be like, Oh no, they this, this evil's coming for them and they don't even know about it. It like, it lets us in on it, you know?
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah, but yeah, you something. don't have to, it, you're right. the the original trilogy pretty much only stayed over Luke's shoulder the whole time. Um, There was no cutting to other people. So I would totally be understanding of that, not filming and editing it that way, but speed it up a little bit. If you're going to take an entire hour for him to fight a crate Dragon, which ultimately got him some more armor. (laughs) It took an hour for him to get more armor. Um, But I don't want to sound like I'm bashing the episode. I, cinematically it's beautiful acting wise it's it's amazing um i love the little toss here and there with like anakin's pod racer um you know like boba fett's uh jetpack being hit in that same spot like han hit it where it just takes off um i, I like the little callbacks for the for the you know the, the true star wars fan and then you know keeping it general enough for the new like the new Star Wars fan to uh pick it up.
0: Yeah, there was a lot there was a lot of little references dropped in throughout the episode. And I I continue to appreciate that sort of thing because like a you know I mentioned to you before but I I used to be super enamored with almost everything Star Wars. I still am to a certain degree, <laughs> but I feel like I know way too much of it than I really should be like a healthy <laughs> amount. Um, but it's always nice to kind of see stuff like that. Like I mentioned before, you had the little pearl from the Great Dragon. That was a nice little deep cut. You had, um, if you look closely at R5's uh, dome, you can kind of see the remnants of the little um, the destroyed motivator, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that was, it was, yeah. Yep. That was fun. Um, you get a lot of stuff like that. Uh, the mining guild, the you know some of the little references from the Cyclops. He mentioned uh, he, he he swords the Gorath, I think is what he what I remember. Yep. And then to any but any regular are like what the hell is that? <laughs> but then, you also don't care. You understand. No, you don't. That it matters. Parts n- that you won't get, and none that's of that I
1: matters. Think, I think that's what like Favreau and Filoni have done great as a tag team. Yeah. Let's make it detailed enough that, like, someone who is a mega fan like you pick up on the small details and feel like they're in on a a little secret. But then someone like me who's only ever watched, like, the movies or, uh, like, the Clone Wars series, who's, like, knows enough to be, like, dangerous, but pick up on, like, let me see how this whole thing paints a picture together. I I think they've done such a great job of, like, you know, creating their own cults
0: of fans yeah they they have i I feel like this very much feels like just enough fan service the way the mcu kind of delivers um and it's great to see it with star wars because i feel like in the era after george lucas we're finally getting to we're we're finally getting star wars i think in the hands of people who grew up with it acknowledge it and also feel like they yeah they respect it enough to you know, to give you, they know exactly what fans want, and they want to give you enough of it, but they're just not going to like overtly spoil you with it. But they yeah. give you enough to kind of keep you on track. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think the the word fan service is always thrown around everywhere, but you know, at the end of, it, it it is for fans. So, <laughs> you know, how bad it can it be?
1: Yeah. Um, awesome. Let's talk about predictions. What do you think episode two is? What does that hold for us?
0: So one of two things I think either Mando makes it off Tatooine and goes somewhere else but I feel like because at the end of this episode we he doesn't have a clear direction like you said he he just acquired armor. Yeah. It's like in a video game you unlock a key item, all right, great, where does that key item go to, you know? <laughs> right. I do feel like we we're going to have a confrontation with Boba Fett in the next episode. Um I don't I think it's too early though. So I but so I'm not really sure, but I just don't see From a story perspective, and I think we can, you know, recalling back to season one, at the end of every episode, you kind of know what Mando needs and where he needs to go. But at the end of this one, it's like, well, you didn't really progress anywhere in terms of like trying to get the child back to his home. So I do because of that, I feel like the only angle is he's going to have some sort of confrontation with Boba before he gets out of Tatooine. So I think next episode is another Tatooine focused episode.
1: I agree. I think that he's pretty much to this point, mostly been a follower and then kind of living out like a bounty hunter lifestyle of, um, to get advice or information from someone, he has to complete a contract or complete some sort of a side quest. Right. Um, so I, I think it it only makes sense that Boba Fett will have some Intel for him on where Mandalore is or where the people might've retreated to. Um, I think he, I think Boba will like knock him off his speeder or intersect him uh, at the at the landing dock before he takes off. Um, the 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 major thing that I need to see, though, uh, not so much a prediction. I need some background on Boba. I would like to see how he escaped. Um, I'm not going to put that down as a must-see. I can just chalk it up to he was clever. He got away. Um, but I need to know, is he a Mandalorian? He, he's obviously been seen without his helmet. Can he ever put it back on? Because part of the culture is he cannot. Um, or does he just have simply have armor and can you know, put the armor back on and get back into the lifestyle?
0: I feel like that's something that needs to be tackled, especially this season. Um, if the rumors are true that we're going to get Sabine and some of the other characters from Rebels on here or, or yeah. even like looking at Bo-Katan, be, you know, whether she's um, brought up in flashbacks or we see her alive in in, in the present time of the show, um, this whole never take the helmet off approach to, to Mandalorians, I don't know how they're going to necessarily address it, right? Because we've seen other mediums where the Mandos just don't really care about taking their helmets off. We have yeah. Death Watch <laughs> in Clone Wars. We have basically all the mandos from rebels none of them seem to have a problem with taking their helmets off but this guy does i I got them
1: jango like lived on camino without a helmet (laughs) right it might not be a strict rule it might just be like an adoption of it
0: Um, yeah it it could be like different sects i guess of (laughs) of mandalorian (laughs) possibly like th- in the same way that you know real world religions kind of have their own um interpretations, yeah. Yeah, it cu- it could be something like that. I, but I I am also interested to learn. Like, is can we answer that question definitively? Is Boba Fett Amanda or not? Because we had the whole, we had it cast a huge shadow of doubt in the Clone Wars just from the one episode where that Prime Minister, mind you, he could be lying. But told uh, Obi Wan in reference to bringing up Django Fett, oh, that guy's just a common bounty hunter. We don't know how he got that armor, but he's definitely not a Mandalorian. Right. So, in, I guess by process of association, I was like, all right, so that makes Boba not a Mando. But that's not necessarily true if you now know, you know, Mandalorian is a creed. It's not necessarily, you know, you're, you are from that planet or you're, you know, at least from the neighboring uh, systems. So yeah, I, I I definitely look forward to getting an answer for that. Um and also just the, the helmet thing. Just somebody answer that because <laughs> it's kinda weird.
1: Yeah, I hope I hope they don't let him get off planet without any answers, without any direction, and then he just like instinctively knows where to go because they introduced him into this episode. Not having a clue where to go, he had to go to a very hostile place um, to get information, where it almost cost him his life and the child's life um, if he wasn't as skilled as at fighting. So I, 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 he needs a little direction.
0: Yeah, and I feel like we're we got a really good start with this to kind of see where things could be going um, in terms of like we 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 got a view as to what mando is looking to do this season which is pretty much just like accomplishing what the armor sent him out to do at the end of last season um but now the question is like all right well where do we begin it's it's curious though to see like his whole his direction was basically seek out more mandos and they'll guide you on your path i wonder why that is necessarily um and the only thing that I can kind of think of is now that we've seen the final season, the Clone Wars, uh, and we we got the end of Rebels, you know, we know that the Mandalorians through Ahsoka know or have some sort of association with Force users. But I would think the direction would have been, hey, that that um, Bo Katan chick that used to rule Mandalore, like you should probably go seek her out versus, hey, go seek out any of the Mandos that we have out there, <laughs> yeah, good yeah. luck.
1: But I guess if his initial direction from the armor is that they used to be a raid, like, Jedis used to be their enemy. I think he can infer, if I find any old Mandos, they can tell me a little bit more info about them, where they might be hanging out, what they might look like, like etc. The thing that, like, I can easily see happening is that he's predisposed to think that Jedi's are enemies one from the armor. Um, and I think that Boba probably has no, no love lost for, um, for Jedi's. I mean, it was Luke who knocked him into the pit. So he probably is anti Jedi. If there is an interaction between Boba and Mando, I think that's just going to more entrench him into this opinion of Jedi or evil so that if he meets ahsoka or whoever the first jedi is that he meets it's probably going to be a duel it's probably going to be like Django versus obi-wan in attack of the clones
0: that's interesting you bring that up too because like i guess you're right because boba also did see his father decapitated by yeah mace windu yeah so but in, in in this in a similar light, I'd I'd agree a hundred percent that the it would be more of a confrontational thing, but I think that Mando has had enough experience with force users at this point through the child that I guess he would know I I, I guess his fear would be more so like how do I mold this kid to not turn out to be the way that um you know these other enemy sorcerers ended up being.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm interested to see where it goes. I think this has been a good intro to the season. I want them to pick up the pace a little bit and uh, give us some more info.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I I wouldn't mind a episode focused on Moff Gideon himself. Just like give us a little bit more. A whole info. hour though. I wouldn't mind it. I think there's stuff to go through there.
1: It's gonna be a lot of speeder bikes. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I, I don't know. I got my theories on, on Moff Gideon and all that, but I, I feel like, you know, the the guy's something's up with the guy. Like, I don't know what his deal necessarily is, but I don't think he's the main villain of this series.
1: I don't think so either. I think there's bigger puppet strings above him.
0: For yeah, sure. for sure. But yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's
1: a good place to end this one. We'll pick this back up when uh, Episode 2, Chapter 10, airs next week.
0: Yep. This uh, this episode is brought to you by Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> <laughs> but not really. But it could be. It could We're be. open to it. it <laughs> Please sponsor us.
1: Hit us up. Behind the Fourth Wall Podcast
0: at GM. yeah at gmail.com it's a very long email but it works it's there (laughs) somebody (laughs) will answer you
1: (laughs) thanks for listening